As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. The Washington Wizards have finally beaten the Dallas Mavericks at home for the first time since January 21st, 2008. 132 to 123. Well, that first quarter didn't start the way that we expected after the Wizards gave up 43 points to the Dallas Mavericks, who are lottery bound. But Washington was able to secure the victory, winning 132 to 123. Five starters in double figures. Jabari Parker with 20 points on 10 of 11 shooting, nine rebounds to go along with three assists. This is the Wizards Talk podcast. Chris Miller alongside the NBA champion Tony Massenberg, the coach Jimmy Patsos. We've got uh, producer Adam Wise, producer Terrence Stroder, and a special guest that needs no introduction, so I won't give Darren's him one. here. He's back. You know him. <laughs> Jimmy, I want to start with you because this was the first time that you got to see Luka Dantich in person. I want to get your take, and then, Tony, we'll talk uh, to you about that and also you know, your competitive juices with Dirk Nowitzki. Let's just say there were some shoe executives here from all the shoe brands, and everybody said, wow, when they walked off the court to me. In terms of his production, marketability, how he looks. You don't want to talk about that on TV, but on the podcast, I will. Luka Doncic is up next year. His shoe contract is up next year. So people are following and watching East Coast reps. My friends in Baltimore were very impressed tonight with the way he played. Keith Booth was impressed. I was impressed. But I told this to Mass. He's tough. He bumps dudes off. He does the dirty work. He gets in the paint. He follows up shots. Willing passer, just overall really impressive. And I said this, Adam gave us the four MVPs not born in America, which was Akeem, Nash, Nowitzki, and Duncan. Duncan's a good one because a lot of people forget he was a behemoth. Virgin Island swimmer. Yes, swimmer. At Wake Forest. First time he ever came out, we had Joe Smith. I said, man, they got some swimmer. How good could he be? After the game, I said, I hope he leaves early. (laughs) (laughs) He was, oh, my God, was he good. But Doncic just does it all, does it all. For me, uh, I looked at Luka Doncic tonight. First time I saw him in person. And, you know, again, I have a big thing with guys, you know, when I see him and have this type of hype. First thing I look at is the measurables. You know, is he what he's, what they say he is? You mean physically? Physically, yeah, the measurables. An honest 6'7 and a half, 6'8, solid 220, 225 maybe. 19 years old. So that's a grown man body. Then I look at, if you're going to be a star on the level that he's being hyped, are you a guy that can make your teammates better? A resounding yes when you look at the way he plays the game. So now 
I'm looking at him and I'm seeing some magic. I'm seeing some LeBron. And that's who I compare him to because, again, as a forward, which is his position, he has point guard vision, he shoots like a two guard, and he can play inside like a power forward. Okay, well, that's actually a little bit of LeBron. Tell us about the influence of Spain and the European game on him at a young age. Well, see, for me, this is what I like about Luka because when I played in Europe a very, very, very long time ago, it was physical, more physical than the NBA. That was what the European brand of basketball used to be. When you played in Spain or, or Italy or Greece or one of these very high-level European leagues, those are physical leagues. Luca is a product of that. So what I was looking for from him was toughness because a lot of European players have the reputation of coming over, just wanting to shoot, not really wanting to mix it up. That's not who he is. You can see that he doesn't care about mixing it up. He has three-point range. He has point guard savvy as a, as a passer. And he has the physicality to go inside and rebound and play in the paint. So when I look at those things, I'm thinking to myself, that's an MVP within the next three to four years. Luka Doncic, 31 points, 11 rebounds, 7 assists. Here's Luka talking about his night coming up short, but uh, putting on the show here in our nation's capital. I think we moved the ball great. Uh, and for sure, the effort, the effort is better. You know, We just have to play every game like this. Well, what are some of the things you got to do in order to get over the hump and get a victory? I think we have to rebound better, uh, for sure. We we let a lot of offensive rebounds. Uh, I think we're solid on defense, but the rebounds kind of let us down. You said uh, the team's effort was better. How about your effort? Did you feel like you seemed like you were, uh, your body language was really good and you were, uh, every element of the game you seemed to be a part of? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was way better, for sure. Uh, but it wasn't the best. Uh, I missed some layups actually layups for me so I should have made those and you know I just like I said it was way better than in the games for sure some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor they know honey on pizza is where it's at and olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top mm. and they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate you can save up to 25 percent Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. All state vehicle and property insurance company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. All right, Luca was special. This is a kid that I think we're all going to be really excited seeing him twice a year uh, because he's in the Western Conference. Uh, the Mavericks, same record as the Wizards now, 27 and 37. And it got me thinking, if the Mavericks won the lottery, like who would they take? Because they've got Porzingis coming right. back. They've got... And for those listening, right, Chris, we, Adams fixed this for us. It's one through four, and they keep the pick. Yes, that is correct. I'm curious. Like, would they take Zion? I, I mean, Porzingis is 7-3. Tony said he saw the dude in some flats. You know, big no, boy we, we people were, over there. Yeah, so, we were sitting in the, yeah. you know, when uh, you sit up in the stands, I said, yeah. he is really tall. And Tony yeah. goes, he's wearing flat shoes, Jimmy. Yeah. He's way taller than those guys. So I'd be yeah. curious to see what the Mavericks do, but... Um, you don't want Zion there, do you? I don't. I just, I'm not I, 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 I wouldn't think that that would be a good I fit. I bet you Cuban is who was here, by oh, the sure. way. Oh, sure. I mean, come on, man. That guy's loading up with, like, that's Mark. I turned around the corner, and I'm like, he's like, hi, coach. I'm like, you're Mark Cuban. <laughs> Did you sell him any products? 
No, I already he I said Kevin Plank says hi. He says, tell Kevin I said hi. I really admire him. I'm like, yeah, what do you guys like have? Whose jet can take off faster contest? <laughs> then they just grab me. They're like, all right, leave Jimmy, you gotta get away from him now. But he was like right there and did a thing with Ben and then Chris Wallace was with Ted Leonsis. It was it was a star start of the event. You gotta take Zion and add to the star quality. Everyone who wins so. has stars. You I like don't think so. me and you like Cam Reddish, which is uh, and the other one that gave me. I'm that. just saying, like it's very rare to find a six eight two guard. And they pass too much for R.J. Barrett to go third, there. He's the third option on a team with you know guys that can go one and two in the draft. Anyway, we'll, we'll get to the draft. We got plenty of time for that. Yeah, we'll get to that. Remember, since the Wizards won, they scored 132 points. You can get 50 percent off any online order on Thursday, March seventh. At participating Maryland, Virginia, and D.C. Papa John's locations, make sure you use the promo code WIZ50. Tony, the Wizards not only got the victory tonight against Dallas, they got a gift because the Miami Heat beat the Charlotte Hornets. Now the Wizards trail Miami, who is now in eighth place by three games. The Wizards will now play the Hornets twice in the next seven days. Not only did they get the win, but they got a gift. Yep. And sometimes you need those in order to get where you want to get to playoff-wise. But... At the end of the day, you've got to take control of your own destiny, and that means you have to take care of the teams that are in front of you. And the Wizards' schedule is not one that's so difficult that they can't pull this out. It will require them to play team basketball the way that they played tonight. It will require them to play a little bit better defense than they played tonight. And it will also require guys to step up the way that we saw them tonight. You get a huge game from Jabari Parker going 10 for 11, for 20 points. Parker open from 16, and Jabari Parker has not missed since he missed his first shot. He's made nine straight field goals. You also get Jeff Green stepping up, playing well. You get 22 out of Trevor Ariza. So you look at these guys, the others around Bradley Beal, and that's really what it's going to be about. Did you have a, game, a year where you came and made the playoffs late, and then did you have a year that you didn't make it late, and did you look back and say there was a couple of key games? In other words, you were on a lot of different teams. Yeah. So in other words, the play, like, were you in this situation where like, we're three out with 10 to go or 15 to go? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, uh, we, we got in there when I was with Utah, um, and we were almost out, but we started to play much better toward the end. And much like the position that the Wizards are in right now, we had to pull out some wins to, uh, to assure that we would be in there. But at the end of the day, you just got to go in and, and, again, let the chips fall where they may by playing the right way and playing as hard as you can. When guys know that they're giving their all, then they can live with the results. And that's what the Wizards – that's where they have to galvanize themselves and develop that mentality that this game should set the tone for how we want to play for the rest of the season. I want to talk a little bit about Bradley Beal again, another 30-point outing for him. We've waxed poetic to the point now where it's like, what more can we say about Beal? But another 30-point effort for him. He played 37 minutes, 11 of 19 from the field. Here's my conversation with him immediately after the game where he talked about the Wizards putting together two straight wins and that first time he ever met Dirk Nowitzki. Bradley, first of all, congratulations, man. You guys have put together two really good games, 18 games left in the season. What's been the approach? Playoffs. Uh, first place my learning series is Scarsfield. Playoffs is all we have on our mind. You know, we have about 18 games left now. And, uh, you know, we, we broke them down in the four-game series. You know, we have like, five of them, but, you know, four games apiece, you know, and trying to win each week. You know, we have... And that's, that's been our goal. You know, so far we're 2-0 in this week. You know, we got two more to get, but, uh, you know, we love where we're at. 
we, we still have a chance right in front of us. We just got to take a full advantage of it. You have been so dialed in since December the 1st in terms of 20-point scoring games. But you've talked about it's being more than just being a scorer out there this year. It's just doing whatever it takes to win, man. I know my game is it's just constantly evolving. It's getting better and better every, every year. Ball handling, making sure I'm creating for my teammates, trying to make my teammates better as, as, as much as I can. You know, I'm going to continue to put the work in and, and do my due diligence and all I can do is just try to make my teammates better. You were a baby-faced sharpshooter at 16 when you first met Dirk Nowitzki, and now he potentially just walked off the court for the last time here in D.C. Did you share any words with him, and, and what are your thoughts? Man, it's crazy because every time I see him, it's like, man, I, the first time I met you, I was a kid in St. Louis, happy to be on the USA team, and then we just won a gold medal in Germany, and I ended up being the MVP of the whole tournament, and he presented me with a trophy, man. It was nothing like it, you know, and that's... That was, man, I don't even know how long ago, about 10 years ago. And, you know, now I'm playing against him on this floor, on the NBA floor the last seven years. has been unbelievable, you know, to be able to see him back on the floor. Man, every time he's out here, he's a legend. Do nothing but respect what he does. Tony, I want to start with you since you competed against Dirk to hear Brad talk about, you know, when he was 16 years old, he was a baby face, you know, sharpshooter from St. Louis to look up and see this seven-footer with the, with the crazy blonde hair. Uh, present him the MVP trophy for the U16s because that team that Bradley was on representing our country won the gold medal. And now to see him tonight potentially being Dirk's last time competing against him, what's your biggest takeaway from what we were able to see the last 21 years from this seven-footer from Germany? For me, I have never been in an opposing team's arena. And again, uh, I played with John Stockton when he was on his last year. He would see, receive a round of applause, but he was still a starter at this time. So he wasn't in the situation that Dirk is in. But the point that I'm making is that when you go to a opposing arena and the fans are chanting your name, like you're the last guy on the bench for the home team that they want to see get in, that says a lot about what you've established over the course of your career. Tremendous respect from all of the fans, tremendous respect from the players because we know what it was that we saw. Me personally, first time I saw Dirk Nowitzki, I knew I saw something different. I didn't know that he would be this good and still be in the league 21 years later. But I know that I saw something different. At seven feet tall, the ability to shoot like a two guard was something that we had never seen um, in the 2000s. We had just never seen that. And so you look at that and you say to yourself, wow, like, is this where the game is going? And now you fast forward to 2019, and now everybody is shooting from behind the three-point line. Well, that started with Dirk Nowitzki. So I give Dirk the credit for his professionalism, the way he's carried himself. He's been a guy that's been a face of the league. And in my opinion, he is the guy who started the quote-unquote stretch four, stretch five position. I remember first asking Walt Williams about him because Walt was on that team that went 17 and 0. It was Walt, Steve Nash, and all them. Then Walt was in Dallas, and then we got Terrence Morris to trail and shoot threes in '99, 2000, 2001. And Scott Brooks talked about that, Chris, and you've been around. The first guy, the tree, he invented the trail three. The yeah. big guys always took the ball out, you know. Yep. The Dallas culture, but two finals to win it all, but. He was out early shooting for a purpose tonight. He doesn't need to take 200 shots before the game. He wanted the fans to see him. He circled in the inside close, medium twos, threes, and finished with free throws. He's just giving it to the people, which I got to respect because I was over there watching him. But I think the game is telling him. 
oh no, it's too late to My play. Man. Yeah, I, he didn't. Yeah. But to come out and shoot early so that he, so everybody can see him. I thought, and that, if Doncic's learning all that, that's good. I wanted to talk. Yeah, go ahead. No, just the, the Nowitzki thing. Germany, and this is for Tony, who was in Spain. Germany now has a big basketball culture. They're like the third best place in Europe to play. Do you think he had part of that growth? There's no question about it. I mean, the platform for the NBA, for for European players and, and players from all across the world, when you are a European player or an international player and you come to the, the NBA, you are now the ambassador for your country. That's how it is. I know that because I played with Pal Gasol. We talked about it. Pal actually uh, used to come to my games when I played in Spain when him and his brothers were kids. So I didn't know that then because, you know, clearly they were babies, but they had saw me play. And so I've understood from a guy that played a couple years in Europe and then to see guys come over from Europe to the NBA, how much they carry their country's flag on their back. So to see Dirk Nowitzki not just be in the league, but be a face of the league has done tremendous uh, has made tremendous progress in Germany just because he's opened the eyes of so many people to the game of basketball. That's all I wanted to know because that was like not a great place to play. That's not one of the better places no. in Europe to play. And, and I think it's, they, they pay pretty well. They have a good league. And, and now Daniel Teese from the Celtics comes over, and that's what he started. I want to get two more things uh, to talk about before we wrap this up. We, we talked about this a little bit during the pregame show, but I want to get you guys' take on what – Adam Silver told Bill Simmons last week in Boston during the analytics convention. And if you haven't heard it, I'd like to play it right now, what the commissioner of the league said about not all, but some of the players that he's encountered in the NBA today. And I think we live a bit in the age of anxiety. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, 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 I've read studies on this. I think part of it is a direct product of social media. Yes. Um, I, and, and I think those players were talking about, when I meet with them, what strikes me is that they are truly unhappy. Yeah. This is not some, like, you know, show they're putting on for the media. When you get, you know, when you have relations with a lot of players, when I'm one-on-one -on -one with a lot of these guys, you know, I think to the outside world, they see the fame, the money, all the trappings that go with it. They're the best in the world at what they do. You know, they, they say, how is it possible? Like, they could even be complaining. And I, you, I hear this on television all the time. A lot of these young men are genuinely unhappy. I mean, some have come from very difficult circumstances. That doesn't help. Right. Some of them are amazingly isolated. And you and I have talked about this. That This goes back to Jordan in the 90s. Right. It's not even the camaraderie that they were accustomed to. I mean, you saw some of the... Um, the trailer or some parts of this film that we have from Michael's last year yeah. on the Bulls. I mean, the camaraderie was incredible. I mean, Michael, like what people didn't see was, I mean, he and, and Phil Jackson, obviously, as, as the coach, deserves enormous credit, but there was like classic team building going on all the time. These guys were a band of brothers, you know, on the buses, on the planes, and, and all the attention only brought them closer. If you're around a team in this day and age, their, their headphones on, they're isolated, and they're head down. Like, as soon as, the, it used to be, I remember years ago, Isaiah Thomas said to me, championships are won on the bus. And he meant right. that. And I, and I disagree. One of the comments from the earlier panelists was, oh, forget those other five guys on the team. Those five guys on the team were critically important. Even if they hardly had any minutes. Old, you, know, you know, usually they were veteran players. They were leaders who were able to, 
take players aside in a way a coach couldn't, yeah. you know, because they'd lived through it. It was just something that a, a teammate could do that a coach couldn't, or certainly an owner or, or somebody or an administrator in the team. Tony, I want to start with you. Jimmy, you were a coach. You recruited kids. I'm a father of someone that plays big-time high school basketball, so I kind of get what the commissioner was saying about all of the energy and the effort that's focused in on the sport and all the things that surround it in terms of social media. Tony, from your experience, do you agree with the commissioner? Do you feel like some of these players just aren't happy? There's no question in my mind. I, I agree with him that some players are not happy. Not all, but there are some players that are not happy. And, and it has less to do with the NBA than I think uh, people may try to put on it. To me, it has more to do with society. We have a lot of unhappy people in society today because of social media. And social media rules the NBA at this point. It's all about your Instagram and your Twitter and your Facebook and whatever. And, and these outlets open you up for the worst criticism you could possibly imagine. And so for basketball players and football players and baseball players, athletes in the public eye, it's a different time now because you're so exposed to the point. I call it overexposure. Guys, I think right now are struggling uh, some are struggling with mental health because there's more attention and more focus paid to that from a societal perspective. We are more conscious of mental health. It's not about the mental health of NBA players in my mind. Everything that happens in society mirrors every league, the NBA, the major leagues in baseball, the NFL and football. And so when we see cultural shifts or, or societal shifts, meaning I heard Adam Silver say, you know, guys isolate themselves. They're, they're sitting in their lockers with their headphones on. They're on the plane with the bus or whatever with their headphones on. Well, that's what people are doing in society. You go to a restaurant or cafeteria or Starbucks, what are people doing? They're sitting there looking at their telephones. They got their headphones on and everybody's in, this, in their own world. We've come, become more disconnected as a society. So for NBA players, yeah, they probably are a little bit more uh, reclusive now because there's so much attention put on them that they literally can't get out of the spotlight. And for some guys who really value their family time and their private time or, or just having a moment where they're not under the spotlight, that can be a real mental hurdle. So, Tony, when you played, I want to know how isolated were you and your teammates? Because you played in the 90s. So how isolated were you? Because these guys are walking in, like you said, with – Beats headphones on, listen to the iPod, iPhone, yeah. whatever. Were you and your teammates that same way? Because you're talking about probably, what, a 20-year? My last time on the court was 09. Or was 08, rather. Was my last. So we're, we're talking, yeah, but you know. But you started in. 90. Yeah, but I started in 1990. So you got to remember, in 1990, guys were walking around with headphones on. They were using Walkmans. <laughs> That's what the Walkman was. And then it goes from the Walkman to the Discman and from the Discman to the MP3 player. So the NBA guys are gadget guys. So everybody's going to have their headphones. That's just the way that's always been. But the isolation part, yeah, I felt isolated to a certain degree because outside of the, the, the 14 other guys that were on the team with me, nobody else other than the other guys in the league had anything in common with me. So the NBA team that, that being an NBA player you're part of of a fraternity and when I played there was no social media so if we wanted to at the end of the season go off to 
uh, Hawaii or, or uh, Belize or wherever it was, was, some private island. Well, guess what? That's where you went to get your privacy. And, and you were, you did have privacy. It's not that way anymore. So when guys travel abroad or they go to an exotic island, even if people don't recognize them when they get off the plane, at some point, they're going to get recognized. And when they get recognized, people are going to pull out their cell phones because we're living in the modern era. Well, when you pull out your cell phone on a guy laying on the beach with his girlfriend or playing with his kids, you know, that feels like an invasion of privacy. And it would feel like an invasion of privacy for an ordinary citizen. So you take into a fact that most NBA guys are, you know, exceptionally tall. So you stand out from that regard. And then the question starts. And then when you say, yes, I do play basketball, then there goes your privacy. That's how it is today for these guys. And for some of these guys, not all, but for some of these guys, they just want their privacy when they're off the court. Everybody understands their media obligations, but I think some of these guys are really bothered by the fact that well, what, they can't well, turn the, it off. What, so what's the – in other words, first of all, people, we all played three sports. I like guys to play two sports because it gives them a little break. They're still working out. Your European experience – and I know it was different in Spain. You guys, you guys went out late after the games, and real late, really, because that's when they go out. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that, yeah. but no, they went out, and you could balance it, and you had fun. And these are young men. What's the answer, Tony? How well, do you do it? You just said it. The I know balance. What we're going to invent the balance. a club that you can't bring cell phones. The balance. To. But but here's the deal. Here's the deal. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to say this as a NB, as a former NBA player. Here's the deal. When I played. I had media obligations. When I played, we would have to go and, and do things for charity. Okay, I signed up for that. You know, when I signed that contract, I was the happiest guy in the world. You know, wasn't making a lot of money. I was a second-round draft pick, but I was the happiest guy in the world. When I look at these guys now, they have to get back to that feeling that they had those first couple of days when they were in the league. Because what happens over time is people think, well, because you're an NBA player, you make a tremendous amount of money, you know, how could you not be happy? Some of the most unhappy people that I've ever met in my life are some of the richest people that I've ever met in my life, not non-athletes. So money doesn't make you happy. It gives you a means to, to, to do a lot of things and gives you options, but it's not the tell-all for happiness. And a lot of times that is within, that's what's, within you as a player that you have to find your your happiness and you have to understand if you're going to be a professional athlete when you sign that contract to a certain degree you're signing up to deal with the public and to deal with the media you have to be mature enough to accept that otherwise if you're that unhappy with the media and people being in your life you can always retire from the game it, it's it's that simple but you can't have it both ways you can't make 150 to 200 million dollars and then think that people are not going to inquire about your 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 what you do off the court it's just that simple i saw um and i, I don't want to point this guy out but i'm gonna point him out i saw kyrie irving last week in boston when the celtics finally got their first victory over the wizards since the all-star break and i tweeted it out i saw the worst body language i've seen all year long I saw a guy that was disengaged, didn't want to be there, and went through the motions. And you look at his stat line, and he had a double-double. He played well. And when he came off the court, because I'm sitting right by the Celtics bench, 
he walked past his teammates and he went to the end of the bench and he just sat there and he just stared into wherever he was staring, wherever place that he needed to go to. And I thought to myself, I said, that young man is unhappy. He is the classic case of what this commissioner is talking about. And then I see a guy like LeBron James that potentially could not make the playoffs for the first time in a long time. And I, I, I know from my own experience of covering this league that guys will go into that locker room at halftime and the first thing that they do is they'll pick up their phone and they'll see what we in the media are saying about them. Really? I didn't know that. The problem with that is is it's taking your focus, I think, away from preparing for the second half. <clears throat> and this isn't just a Wizards problem. This is an entire league problem. That's the isolation part that Tony was talking about, what Commissioner Silver was talking about. When you go into your cubicle and the first thing you do is you pick your phone up. Um, I remember, and Markeith Morris even said this several times, Markeith would get text messages from Marcus and vice versa, whoever was playing that night, because the brother would watch and critique and give you know tips on what they saw. I don't know if that's good or bad, but, but I do know that the instant what am I doing right, what am I doing wrong, can't be beneficial for these players as they're getting ready to go back out on the floor. You know, it'd be nice if you probably get, you know, get hydrated again. Mm-hmm. You know, but the first thing that they're doing is they're coming in here and they're no, getting on their phones. Your, talking to your team about um, what we're going to do. I, 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 I struggled my last couple of years coaching because it just infiltrated my life. I love the media. I did. I was as nice to the media for 14 years as I could. Gary Williams was media. I read every paper. I buy the papers. I like what sportscasters have to say. I'll, I'll accept that. When you cross over and you're listening to what amateurs say, you're in tr- my wife was like, you can't do anything in the morning from 9 to 10. You can get your two or three papers, see what they said, if you even made it at the mid-major level. Right. Gary always said what the Sun say, what the Post say. Those are real writers that, by the way, know what they're talking about and can write professionally. I get it. Having the little people in your head is not a good thing that really don't know what they're doing but have a lot of juice. That, I don't know what the answer is. I don't like the players looking at their phones at halftime. <clears throat> Um, I, I don't know. Stop it I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what yeah. the solution is to fix that. But it, it brought up. It made me think a lot about at all levels, kids, and how they're consuming information. And again, this is not Chris Miller. Get off my lawn. I'm old. But what it is is when you see somebody tweet something and they go, "Chris Miller, you bleep 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 bleep." bleep. And you're seeing that, and you're a performer. You know, you can tell the media, oh, I don't read that, or I don't listen to that. But nine times out of ten, yeah, you are. And you're and you're absorbing that into your subconscious. So at some point, you're going to probably lash out, right? So that's where we are with that. I appreciate Commissioner Silver being so transparent with that because we all talk about it, but to have a commissioner of a tremendous league say that and feel like the people that he interacts are unhappy. Hopefully it'll, it'll illuminate more of a conversation, um, not just on the Wizards Talk podcast, but I'll end with this. Um, you guys celebrated. I'll let you Terps get the last say on this. You celebrated 100 years of, of basketball, so I'll let you two uh, bloviate for that uh, now, and I'll just put the microphone down. 
100 years of Maryland basketball, Jimmy. Do the lefty voice. Oh, son, you know I like you, son. You got them big hands like Buck Williams. You come play for me at Maryland, son. Yeah, I like the way you move. You know, that was the that was the that was the spill that Lefty gave me at Five Star. Really? First time I ever met him. So you got to remember. So I can tell the story now because I'm old. But when I went to Five Star, I had one school. That was in where mind. you had to go to get. Yeah, school. you had to go. Middle I had nowhere, one school in mind. One, University of Maryland. I've been a Lim Bias fan since I was going into my junior year of high school. So all I wanted to do was go to Maryland and play for Lefty Giselle. So when I went to Five Star, I had one school in mind. One school. I was playing for one guy. He didn't know it. And I made the all-star team. Uh, matter of fact, Jeff Lebo was my point guard. We won the entire camp. Yep. We won the entire camp. All right? I don't even remember who the other three guys were, but we were all kind of – I was an unknown because there was no internet. And they paired me with Jeff Lebo because he was Carlisle the best, PA, he was the he best point guard in the country at that time. Jeff Lebo was awesome. Yeah. Don't let anybody tell you. Don't let anybody tell you. And in high school, Jeff Lebo was the best point guard I had ever had played with. But what I thought was funny, Tony, was that lefty couldn't make it, but he did a great video. And it was really about the lefty Drizel, yeah. greatest salesman ever, yep. to Gary Williams, who was not a salesman at all. Yeah. You played for both. Tell yeah. In other words... One was a tactician, love practice. All right, Gary could recruit better than people think, but it wasn't his specialty. He could sell tickets in a different way. They couldn't be different guys, but together they built this monster program. They did. Tell and, us about the difference of playing for him. And what well, it was like and Coach Giselle was, you know, your traditional old school uh, kind of, you know, we're going to grind it out and, and get it done. And, 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 again, I give Coach Giselle the title as the best recruiter I have ever been around. I mean, he will literally come in and – he will talk the teeth out of a shark. Like, he will literally convince the shark he doesn't need those teeth, you know, to, to live. That's how good of a salesman Coach Rizal is. And the whole being able to recruit the South because he just had this warm kind of personality that, that made you feel comfortable. He won my parents over instantly. So, and I, again, trust my parents to this day on their judgment. So I was definitely trusting them when it came time to pick a school. So when they liked Lefty, when he left out the house, and they liked him. Then it was really over with for me. So and then you get Gary coming again. And then I get year. Gary my senior year. And again, Maryland graduate at a time when we were, you know, coming off a pretty, you know, tough couple of years, falling on under, on sanctions under Bob Wade. And now we're trying to transition into to something new. And Gary comes in and just open minded and and just took everybody at face value, and. From the first meeting I had with him, I knew that the program was in good hands because he was committed as a former Maryland player. He had a great reputation as a coach. He was tough, and he really wanted to be there to make Maryland into something special. He, he, it was a very interesting night. Blake came back. I, my, the most interesting part of the night for me was seeing, because I didn't know them, was seeing Buck Williams and, and Albert King there and yeah. what they've done. New, grew up watching with the Nets and Albert King is one of the most successful businessmen to ever graduate from Maryland. He's got like 250 Wendy's and stuff. And Buck just, but I had never really she met them. Now, I know. Well, that's what someone said. Someone said McDonald's All-American. He said, when are we going to change that to Wendy's? And the only one who does better than him is Junior Bridgman. You know, he's a billionaire, Junior Bridgman. I never knew that. Junior Bridgman went to Louisville, learned the franchise business from the young people, took everyone's money in the NBA, and he is worth almost a billion dollars. 
based out of Atlanta. He's saved Ron Harper, Pippen, all of them, Junior Bridgman. And he goes, you're from Maryland? Albert King's my competitor, but I love him. These are the things that you learn in basketball. Junior Bridgman, look him up. The king wow, of the franchise. incredible. And gets a ton of NBA players in it. But the Maryland thing was well done. Plank and them did a good job. Excellent. I wish they could have just beat Michigan the next day, but yeah. the final four run's coming, so it'll be okay. There you go. We're going to be in that, man. What you looking at? Why, why, why are you looking like that, Chris? Nobody is a big guy like us. Well, you might have Carolina. Duke Wait, doesn't. So Terps are going to the Final Four. Final and Four. I'll tell you what, Brenda Freeze has done a great job over there. With you. <laughs> <laughs> and on that, right. we'll end this edition of yeah, the Wizards Talk Podcast. I can't come back on that one. <laughs> that's a good one. Beal with a step back for a long three that's good.